How can I know God is real? What does the Bible say about politics? Why does a good God allow suffering? If you have questions about faith, life or culture, don't be afraid to ask. This This is Ask with David Dean. G'day everyone, Dave Dean here. And our question for the week is, how can I know God? After his resurrection from the dead, Jesus appeared to his disciples. And in John chapter 20, we read of one disciple who was a little late to the party. His fellow disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of those nails and place my hands into his side, I will never believe. Can you relate to doubting Thomas? I know I can. I mean, resurrections are not that common. I would want evidence of some kind, and certainly sitting here in our cynical age of fake Facebook news, we are all the more sceptical, doubting even our doubts, so that for an increase in many, even Thomas is to trust in, because seeing isn't necessarily believing, because believing itself can't be believed. If you're confused and my rhetoric worked, we are living in confusing times. So with that preface, how can I know God? Let me start by saying this. Taken by itself, Christianity is not a philosophy, it's not an ethic, and it's certainly not an empirically verifiable scientific experiment. Taken by itself, Christianity is a revelation. Now, what we do with that revelation in terms of our philosophizing, moralizing, and science is important, but before it is put through those paces, Christianity is above all else a revelation concerning human salvation through Jesus, the promised Jewish Messiah. So in a sense, the Christian answer to this question, how can I know God, is by what God chooses to reveal. But that raises a second point, namely that you need to be able to relate to that revelation for what it is. So there's really two different things here, revelation and relation. Let's look at those in turn. First, revelation. We know God by what he has chosen to reveal. This is evident in the nature of revelation itself, but also in Bible verses such as Deuteronomy 29, 29, The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons and daughters that we may observe them forever. So the question really is, what has God chosen to reveal? Well, when it comes to revelation, Christian theologians have made a helpful distinction between what they call general revelation and special revelation. General revelation refers to general truths that we can know about God through nature and, more specifically, human nature. For example, in Romans chapter 1 we read, What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and things that have been made. So according to this passage, something about God's existence and power can be known by observing the world around us. God can be sensed in some vague way through the things of this world, through creation. And on a moment's reflection, I think we can all relate to this notion. You know, think of the beauty of a sunset, the ingenuity of humanity, the heroism of sacrifice, the precious innocence of a newborn baby. And that helps us to realize in another sense that general revelation isn't just limited to the world around us. It also includes the way we respond inside to the world around us, how we take in what we sense from creation. For example, in Romans chapter 2, we read about the law of God, which is written on the heart of every human being, which our conscience bears witness to. In other words, all of us, in virtue of being human, have an inner sense of what is right and wrong. You know, I'm talking about moral, objective values and duties, like it is wrong to murder and you should care for your fellow man and so on and so forth. The Bible says this inner conscience, this too, is an example of general revelation. 
And over the ages, theologians and philosophers have formulated various arguments from general revelation to help us see how we can know God in this way. There are a vast array of arguments, but just as a few examples, we have the argument from the cosmos, which considers why there is something rather than nothing. We have the argument from design, which considers things like intelligence, purpose, and the seeming agency in the intricacies of creation, as well as other things like the fine-tuning of nature's laws and constants. We've got the moral argument, which considers things like the objective nature of good and conversely evil, and we have other arguments like the argument from beauty, desire, and on and on and on we could go. Now, while general revelation provokes questions and occasions arguments that press beyond the physical world, they don't in themselves tell us much more about who or what stands beyond. And that's where special revelation really comes in as a complement to general revelation. You see, where general revelation refers to general truths that can be known about God through nature and human nature, special revelation refers to the way God has specifically chosen to reveal himself in those contexts. For example, in Hebrews chapter 1 we read, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, end quote. So God speaks in times past through the fathers, through the law, through the prophets, but now he speaks to you and I chiefly through his Son, Jesus Christ, who is recorded for us in what we call the Gospels. That's why Jesus himself says to Philip, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Or elsewhere we read, in him, Jesus dwells all the fullness of deity in bodily form. Jesus is the revelation of God. So what is vaguely sensed about God by general revelation is made explicit in special revelation, namely the incarnation of God, Jesus the Christ. And it's really here in special revelation that Christianity breaks away in its uniqueness as a worldview, in the way that special revelation complements what we know about God from general revelation. Let me just give you a quick example. In Acts chapter 10, we read about a man named Cornelius who knew about God and who was, quote, a devout, God-fearing man who gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly, end quote. Now, plenty of people today would say that they are God-fearing and that they pray to God regularly. In fact, the majority of the world admits as much. But the question is, who or what is the God they fear and pray to? You see, general revelation is like a universal declaration of God's existence. So it tells us something about God, but not everything. We now must press on and ask, who is this God? Well, back in Acts chapter 10, we continue to read how the apostle Peter is invited over to Cornelius' house. And Peter tells him and his family all about Jesus. And the text says that they became Christians. It's like that today. In this period known as the church age, faith in the good news of Jesus Christ and the salvation he offers to all of us in the forgiveness of sins is necessary for salvation. Romans 10.14, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him if they have never heard? And how are they to hear if somebody doesn't preach? And this is really getting us now to the second part of this question in how we receive what revelation gives to us, what it reveals to us. How can I know God? The Christian worldview says, in effect, it's not enough to know about God. We must take a step a step of faith, which transfers knowledge about God to personal knowledge of God. Let me put it this way. When I married my wife and I shared my vows and committed the rest of my life to her, that move on my part was a step of faith. It wasn't a blind step. I had years of very good reasons for taking that step of faith, but it was a step nonetheless. You know, it wasn't just enough for me to know about marrying her. I had to actually marry her. I had to make that move to step 
with a well-informed decision of faith. Ultimately, that is where this answer to the question, how can I know God, bottoms out. In what we do with the revelation we have received, do we accept the light that has come into the world or do we reject it? Now, let's just ask quickly, why would people want to reject Jesus if this is all true? The answer to that is found in John chapter 7, where Jesus himself says, the world hates me because I testify that their works are evil. In other words, people reject Jesus because he preaches a message that requires us to reject our own self-sufficiency, and that can be very hard to do. I mean, the good news that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners only makes sense when we understand the bad news that we are those sinners and that we are the ones in need of saving. But if we can't see our need for saving, then why would we want to embrace and accept a saviour? You see, this is where it all comes down to, the relation that we have towards what is revealed to us. God is not simply the deduction to a formal argument or a best explanation for what we don't yet understand. God is a personal being who invites us to know him, relationally. And that's where faith comes in. Again, not blind, the Bible calls us to test the truth and veracity of all that we hear and know. But when we do, when we ask those questions about God, we, in the final analysis, are left with a decision to step by faith into a relationship with God, like a marriage, or to leave that altar and walk away. How can I know God? If this is your question today, then I want you to know how you answer it will be the greatest decision of your life. For me, the answer is simple. All that I know of God depends on his initiative in knowing me through Jesus and his ongoing sustainment in that initiative in getting to know me more and more every single day as father, as brother, as helper, as shepherd, as friend, as somebody whom I walk with and talk with through scripture, prayer, and meditation. Friend, if this is you asking this question, then can I encourage you to seek him because he's not far from any one of us. John 20, 29, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24, let the one who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, says the Lord. 1 Corinthians 8, 3, if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Do you have a question about Christian beliefs, theology, doctrine, philosophy or culture? Don't be afraid to ask. Go to drcdean.com forward slash ask. That's Dean with an E.